it's holidays, so we finished our series on the I Am series last week, and we do a little mini-series on each of the holidays as we continue to work our way through the book of Matthew. I've got a couple of pair of chinos. These are chinos. I've got one pair of chinos that I call expectations. And I've got other pairs of chinos that I call reality. My expectations are brand new. They've got tags on them. They're a size lower. And I'm hopeful. I'm expectant that sometime in the future... I may be able to fit into them. But I'm also a realist. So I'm probably best just to stick with the chinos in terms of reality. The ones that fit. Silly little example in a sense, but we live in this tension in our lives of our expectations that we have versus reality. And it is a tension, and it's a tension for all of us, but it's part of the world that we live in. Uh, Consider this week. My neighbour was taken to a hospital in an ambulance on Wednesday evening. You already heard me talk about the fact that our grandson has been in hospital and he's been diagnosed with juvenile arthritis. Pastor Pete has been in hospital... Uh, getting surgery on his face and he texted me yesterday and he said, did you get the number of the bus? Because he feels like he's been hit by a bus. But it was his second surgery because a year ago he had his first lot of surgery and it wasn't successful. Expectations versus reality. And I'm conscious that as I... this message that I'm preaching this morning... Next week, you may be sitting with me working through the implications of it. This is a message that, that uh, speaks to each of us. Each of us have expectations that sit out there in a whole range of areas and so on like that, but sometimes those expectations are not met and we're faced with reality. We're faced with a very different set of circumstances. Last week, Finn finished us off with John chapter 14, verse 6. Well, the first six verses of John chapter 14. And his his key point and his main idea was, when our hearts are troubled and confused, Christ is our confidence and our comfort. But this week's big idea, and I think it's helpful to declare it like that, and you can see right up front, is we walk by faith, even when our expectations of life leave us disappointed or confused. So as I said uh, before, we're working our way through the book of Matthew and over the next three weeks we're going to be looking at Matthew's, Matthew chapter 11 and 12. Uh, the last time when I did uh, a couple of these in the previous holidays and so on, I said to you that the gospel of Matthew is a gospel of identity because at the core of the, the book of Matthew there, by, written by Matthew the tax collector, was the identity of Jesus. Who is he? And he was writing to the fact that Jesus is the King, the Messiah, uh, the promised one. And I said to you that the book of Matthew is bookended by two key verses. Matthew 1 verse 2, we're introduced to Emmanuel, God with us, when Jesus became a baby and came to this earth. We're finished at the end of the book of Matthew where Jesus said, I am with you always. 
So it starts off with God with us and it finishes with I am with you always. And the way that Matthew has, has structured uh, the structure of the book, he seems to have given us a bunch of stories, narrative and so on like that, and then a chunk of teaching, a bunch of stories and a bunch of and, and, and a solid block of teaching. And there's five, five of those uh, narrative and instructions that are given to us. And we are in uh, that sec- another section there. Let me read chapter 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So we've got this, this juncture that is, uh, that is sitting here in the chapter. Last holidays, we looked at Matthew 8 to 10, and we looked at a series of miracles that Jesus was doing that was confirming his ministry, but it was also confirming his identity. And then chapter 10, Jason finished up with that, with Jesus sending the disciples on mission. The next three Sundays, today and the next two, I'm going to be taking us through two responses. Two responses. So this morning, two responses to a question. Next week, two responses to God's law. And the following Sunday, two questions uh, in relation to Jesus' identity. And that should take us through chapter 11 and 12. But today, I just want us to consider of John's expectation of what he thought the Messiah, the promised one, this, this coming king, what he would do and what he would bring, that was John's expectations, seemed to be at odds with what Jesus was actually doing. And that's the tension that sits there that we are going to explore this morning. Okay, let's, let's keep reading. Matthew 11, verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? As I sat down uh, this week and worked through this, I thought, what would John's CV look like? When I applied for the position at Hope International School in Cambodia, for the first time since I was 18, I had to write a CV. I hadn't done one in between at all because the positions had been offered to me. And I sat down and I had to write uh, the things that I'd been involved in, the things that I'd been doing, and so on. I, mean, I had to look it up on the internet. What, is it, what does a contemporary CV look like? Uh, I really didn't have any idea at all. But what would John's CV look like if we were to write a description about him? Because it says here in uh, verse 2, when John, and so we're just going to consider him, I'm going to look at the circumstances that he is in. I could, I could make this statement, and, and I think it's appropriate, that probably John is the, John, and it's John the Baptist we're referring to, not John the disciple, is probably the most significant theological person in the Gospels other than Jesus. So we have a really significant person into, in, into this part of our story here in chapter 11. And if you go back to Luke chapter 1, verses 11 uh, to 25, you'll see that John, in fact, had a special birth. And like Jesus, it was an angelic revelation that was brought to his parents, like it was brought to Mary and Joseph as well. 
But he had a really special ministry, and it was confirmed in Matthew. If you go to Matthew 3, verse 3, Matthew, um, let me just head across to there, Matthew 3, verse 3, and I'll just read it to you. And it says of John, in, in, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. You'll see that in Matthew, you'll see it in Mark, you'll see it in Luke, you'll see it in John, all of them referring to uh, John the Baptist as the voice of one who was calling in the wilderness. He was a herald and he was saying, prepare the way of the Lord. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that comes out of Isaiah 40 verse 3. He's so significant because he's the culmination of all of the Old Testament law and the prophets and it sits with him at the end of this era and he announced the kingdom of God that it was coming and his message was simple it was repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand and uh, Matthew and Luke both picked that up Uh, he wasn't interested in fashion uh, he wore camel skins. He wasn't out there uh, Instagramming his, uh, his restaurant, his foods and so on like that. He ate locusts. People came out him, to him in the wilderness and they listened to this message of this prophet. In fact, in Luke, the crowd thought he may have been the Messiah. John was no crowd pleaser. He called it for what it was. It was. In Luke, he calls the crowd a, group of, a, a brood of vipers or a group of snakes. And he upset people, and one person in particular we'll have a look at in a minute. But in John 3, verse 30, John makes this interesting statement when he says, but he must increase, but I must, in, uh, but I must decrease. John is saying this about himself. Here he is standing at this pivotal point in time and history and so on like that. He's heralding the one who's coming, uh, the, the promised Messiah, the anointed king, And he must increase, that is Jesus, as he must decrease. But look what it says. It says, but when John, uh, who was in prison, he found himself in prison, and I'm not going to spend a a lot of time on this, because he called out the king at that time, King Herod. Herod was just the king of a little region. This is not Herod that was at Jesus' birth. This was his son. Um, And uh, Herod... uh, Herod was one of the four rulers and he was in the region where Jesus was. Herod Antipas, his name was. And John called him out because he had married his brother's wife, went and seduced her uh, and took uh, his brother Philip and took his wife and John called him out for it. In fact, he called him out for a few things. We're talking about immoral people living immoral lives and John calls them out. And so Herod has him imprisoned on the southeast side of the Dead Sea uh, and where John now finds himself. And it's interesting in terms of Herod that this Herod cast a shadow of death not only over John the Baptist, but he cast it over, cast it over Jesus as well. This is the Herod that was responsible for both uh, their deaths. So this is, that's Herod. But look at the question. Verse 3, and he says to him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? When you read that, do you find that surprising? Is that a surprising question coming from John the Baptist? Are you surprised by that? I am. But look at the circumstances. First of all, 
is in prison. This is a guy that used to preach fearlessly out there in the wilderness and people would come to him and, uh, and, and he was declaring the word of God. He finds himself in prison. And he's getting these reports that are coming back to him. They were second-hand reports because he wasn't there. He's in prison and he keeps hearing these reports. And he's asking the question, are you the one? He's asking this of Jesus. Are you the one? Are, are you the one who was promised or is there another, com- or is there another coming? You see, if Jesus was the Messiah and the one who was, ent- who was ushering in the kingdom of God, then why wasn't the kingdom of God taking shape now? And in John's mind would have been verses coming out of Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 61 and so on, where the coming of the anointed one was going to set the captive free. And Luke 4.18, when Jesus was in the synagogue, and he said the same thing, that he, he'd come to set the captive free. He was the fulfilment of those scriptures. But here's John, languishing in prison, wondering if Jesus was the one who he had been proclaiming. Because the doubt had set in that his circumstances were at odd with his expectations. Ever had that happen? Ever had your circumstances of life at odds with your expectations, whether it's people or God, whoever it might be? Let's head across to uh, Luke chapter 24. Look at Luke 24. Jesus had risen from the dead and he hadn't made himself known. And he says in Luke 24 and verse 21, he's on the road to Emmaus with these two disciples. And the two disciples said, about, about Jesus, not knowing that they were speaking to Jesus, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, sitting in this Jewish culture was this expectation that this coming anointed Messiah, King, promised one was going to redeem Israel. John had that expectation. These disciples on the road to Emmaus had this expectation. And John's in prison there and he's not seeing that come to a reality in terms of how he expected it. And so there's this sort of unfulfilled expectation that's sitting out there and I think by being in prison as well, that emotional and physical strain that's set out there was a recipe for doubt. And so we get that. And we get the account of it here. Look at verse 4 though. Back to, uh, back to Matthew 11. Verse 4. And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. It's worth noting here, and, and just we'll spend a little bit of time just thinking of Jesus' response to John's doubt. Now, let me just say John's doubt here is in the context of faith. This is not in the context of unbelief. And uh, Jesus responds to those quite differently. This is a doubt that sits inside John's faith. And Jesus' response is just so gentle. 
I mean, th this is John the Baptist. This is the one fearless, courageous, proclaiming the word of God, prepare the way of the Lord, and so on. But here he is doubting if Jesus is the one. I mean, you don't see Jesus doing a sort of a face palm and go, oh, John, 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 John. He doesn't do that. And I just think so often in our responses and so on like that, there's just this lovely, gentle, compassionate response. And he uses scripture to comfort John. He uses scripture to comfort him. And he says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. There's nothing more powerful than a testimony. I want this church here to be a place where we hear testimonies of what God is doing. We heard it from Ella a few weeks ago. We heard it uh, from Vicky a few weeks ago and so on like that. Testimonies in terms of tangibly hearing and seeing what God is doing in people's lives. And so Jesus is saying to the, these disciples of John, go back and tell him what you've seen and heard. And then he goes back and he shares with him a report that's consistent with Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. And if you go back to Matthew 8 and 9 that I did a few months ago during the last lot of school holidays, it's consistent what was happening there. People are being healed, people are being raised from the dead. And he basically says to John, John, look for what God is doing rather than what he is not doing. How often do we find ourselves in that space? We look for what God is not doing in our lives. But he says to John's disciples, go back and tell him what I'm doing. In that way, confirming the identity of who Jesus was. He was the Messiah. He was the promised one. But really, the issue for John was over the timing of the kingdom. And we've got to, we need to understand that. John wasn't aware of what was coming, the cross, um, the resurrection, the church, the Holy Spirit. It's all about perspective. Same with what I was talking about with little Finney there this morning. It's about perspective. We get the little zoomed up picture. We don't get the zoomed out picture. John wasn't able to see the perspective of what's happening. He looked at the mountaintop as it were as to the coming of the king and he saw it just as a peak. But he didn't realise that there was a second peak behind it. When I was flying into Orlando one time, we could see out the window, we could see this wall of thunderstorms uh, that we were flying into. We flew into that thunderstorm, but we didn't know it. You come out of that one into the daylight and we flew into another one. You can't see that. It's behind that. And John seeing this peak like this, the coming of the king and the redemption of Israel and so on, but he didn't see that there was a time in between. That's where you and I are. Because we look back to the cross, we can see what Jesus accomplished through his death and his burial and his resurrection and we look forward to his coming. They could only just see the one coming. So it was a perspective issue that he couldn't see. The first and second coming are separated by this age that we are now in the church. And the Old Testament prophets could only see the peaks in proximity and not the separation between them. Zoom out like we can and it becomes clearer. And then Jesus gives this extra beatitude. It's an extra one. Look what he says. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Well, the NLT says, does not fall away. Fall forward into him, as it were. Lean into him, not fall away from him, and you'll be blessed. Verse 7. 
As John's disciples were, were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. So there's his first response, is to the, uh, John's disciples to take back to John. Now's his second response. And he said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out and see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out and see? A prophet. Yes, I'll tell you, and more than a prophet. Uh, this is the one uh, who, about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. Jesus then turns to the crowd and he gives this incredible tribute of John. John was a man of strong convictions. He wasn't a reed that was just blowing in the wind. He was standing up for what was right and calling it for what it was. He lived simply in terms of his clothing, his food, and his message was simple, repent. It had been 400 years since the prophet Malachi had spoken in chapter 3 about the one who was coming. There had been no clear word of the Lord in that intervening 400 years and John steps into that time and place and spoke the word of God. There had been silence up to then. But then again, Jesus uses scripture, not to comfort this time uh, to John, but to confirm with John and the crowd there particularly the greatness of who John was. And that can't be uh, underestimated. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse um, verse verily, Truly I tell you among those born of women, there's not yet risen one, anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's a surprise, isn't it? There's another surprising uh, 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 verse then. Then what did you go... Um, uh, whoop, let's keep reading. Yet uh, who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets of the Lord prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, uh, he is the Elijah who is to come. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, J Jesus adds a twist. He said no one was born greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because John was the one who was able to have the privilege of heralding the coming of the Messiah. But born of a woman, you see, he said there's coming a time when there are going to be those who are going to be born of the Spirit, like what Jesus had said to Nicodemus. And they're going to be greater. They're going to have access directly to the kingdom of God uh, through the Holy Spirit. But... The tone now in Matthew changes and from here on we actually see those some turning against Jesus and the enemies start to come into the picture and he talks about this violence that both came, was going to come from the religious establishment but it was also going to come from individuals and I wonder whether something like this was actually a eulogy for John because John in the not too distant future was to be uh, beheaded as a result of a, a party and a promise that had gone so wrong. The prophetic hope that sat out there in Israel's history was being realised and culminated in John and, and Malachi prophesied that one uh, like Elijah would come. And then John challenges his hearers to respond in faith, not only to John's message that he gave, but also to Jesus' identity because the two of them are tied together. We started with the big idea that we walk by faith even when our expectations of life leave us disappointed and confused. And the surprise in this passage is John. John of all people, if you expected somebody who was so grounded in the faith, that's the surprise to me. And if John the Baptist's seaworthy faith could be tossed to and fro by doubt, well, certainly we can lose our bearings as well. And we're in good company. 
Look at Moses said in Numbers 11, 11 and 15, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done, he says to God, to displease you that you put the burden of these people on me? Jeremiah, Jeremiah 20 says to God, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Boy, that's a strong statement. And Elijah, uh, being hounded by an evil woman in 1 Kings 19, prayed that he might die. And he said, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Those that have gone before us have been there. And there's encouragement in that. Well, I find there is. There is often this tension between our expectations and reality. And do you know where it starts? It starts in our hearts and it's played out in our minds. Now, expectations are good, but expectations can also be bad and we can run away with those expectations. And so they build up and they're fed by our mind and they're fed back with our emotions and so on like that and we can create something that is not even realistic. And disappointment can come out of the fact that those longings, God-given longings, some of them are, are not met or have been or have failed. Not forgetting that we are affected by our fallen nature. And we can be disappointed when those expectations and reality don't line up. You know what? People let us down. I'm not, I'm not telling you anything new there at all. We trust somebody to do something. We trust them to be something. We trust them to say something. Marriage proves that, the challenge of that. Children, colleagues, we even let ourselves down. Robin had a friend at Emmaus. She just longed to be married. She just longed to be married. The expectation was out there. And over a whirlwind summer, she met a guy from Great Britain who ran away with her heart. He went back to England at the end of the summer break and she was engaged. The next time she would see him was at their wedding day, basically in that time there. After a car crash, the police determined that he'd cut her brakes and was trying to cash in on the insurance. You want to talk about a whole bunch of expectations come crashing down and the disappointment of that sort of situation? Our circumstances let us down. You know, my neighbour's ready to retire. His wife is ready for him to be retired and he's got cancer and she feels robbed. And do you know what? Sometimes we feel that God lets us down. I know a returning missionary who encountered a tragedy in their family's life and as a result of his expectations of what he thought God would do in that place there, was, didn't become the reality that he expected. He walked away from God. That's a tragedy. And you know, finally, we don't understand God. We can't zoom out. We can't see that bigger picture. Isaiah 53 says that. Our ways, his ways, his thoughts, our thoughts, they're not the same. So where does that leave us this morning? Well, I think there's two responses. It's actually a choice. Last week... One of the chaplains here at the school shared a little bit of the tragedy of her life. And she said really clearly that in dealing with that tragedy, she had a choice. She had a choice. She had a choice to trust God 
or a choice to walk away from him. You see, one of those choices is doubt. And, that's, and, and doubt's fine because we've seen that it sits there in, in some of those Old Testament characters. That's what I said to you. Doubt that comes out of belief is different than doubt that comes out of unbelief. And Jesus responded very differently to the religious leaders. But I tell you what, if doubt is left unattended, it can drift us towards the rocks of disillusionment, indifference, and even anger towards God. And that's a terrible place to be. The other choice then is, despite that picture frame that cannot be filled because we can't zoom out to see it, we trust God when faced with these disappointing expectations of life. And what needs to happen is we need to get those doubts that we all have and they've got to have the light thrown on them for what they are because our hearts and our minds are unreliable because Philippians 4, uh, 7 um, Paul says, may the peace of God guard our hearts and our minds. They're not trustworthy. So we need light to be shown, shone onto those. And where does that light come from? Well, first of all, it comes from here. It comes from God's word. There's the power that comes out of a relationship with trusting with God. And Jesus gently and compassionately used the word of God to encourage John in this, in this passage. But you know what? We're living in this age of the church and we have God's spirit. We have his presence with us. John couldn't see it, but we can. We have the Holy Spirit who lives in us and that Jesus said at the, at the end of Matthew there that he's with us always. And then finally, we have God's provision. We have his people. You see, John's disciples were not only couriers of John's question, but they took their response back to him. How good to have God's people around supporting and encouraging. That can be a wonderful sort of source of encouragement, prayer and support. Here's my final thought. We walk by faith. Even when our expectations of life leave us disappointed or confused. Thank you, Lord, for your word your Holy Spirit, and your people. Let me pray. Lord, each of us sit here uh, this morning and can under, uh, understand a little of John's dilemma when those expectations do not align with reality. And some of those things have been caused by people, including our own selves, by our circumstances, but also for the fact that we don't think like you do. And it's so hard for us to see that big picture. Well, Lord, we're called to walk by faith. Lord, help us in trusting you when those expectations of life do leave us disappointed and confused. And may the power of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit and the provision of your people come in and support us and during those times, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.